You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. In today's program, Father Paul explains that in Scripture, the same item or reality can be either life-giving or disastrous according to the will of God. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Now, those who were not obliterated were saved by Noah's gracious action of bringing them aboard the ark under God's command. And here again, uh, all the translations just don't like to have the human beings similar to the animals and so on. Look how they handle, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the air, also male and female, to keep their kind alive upon the face of the earth. Although the original is zera, and systematically it is translated as seed or progeny or descendants, but somehow the authors of the translations, which I attack frontally in the book, you read that, don't like that. that suddenly here, Zera is translated as kind. And the original is reminding you it is the same thing. And notice how the original also uses the same verb, Yalad, to speak about the procreation of the animals. Later, I give examples on that from the book of Genesis. And here again, and you're going to hear this time and again, time and again in my book, actually I have a big chapter about the importance of the original. We have to hear it in the original. And not modern Hebrew with the because it was devised by Polish and German Jews there is no R in the Semitic languages. It's an R. We have to hear the consonantal original and make sure that we're hearing scriptures. So, when God makes his first covenant in the Bible with the human beings, that covenant, and perhaps it would be good not to call it anymore the Noachic covenant. Noachic, it's okay, but not with the human beings, because this covenant is made with every creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and then it is made with every living creature of all flesh, that is upon the earth. This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Notice, he does not make a covenant with the sea animals. 
because the sea animals do not need such a covenant that is linked to the punishment through the flood of waters over the land. But by the same token, the author very, very intelligently is whispering in the ear of the hearer of the original. See, brother and sister, had you been like the Tannin, you didn't have to worry about the flood. Very powerful. And again, Jonah will take us further. Remains the million dollar question. Why is the author so interested in the animals when scripture is not a treatise on zoology? The question itself contains the answer. Namely, the addressees of scripture are the humans. The text is talking to humans. He's not talking to animals. They are the ones who are hearing what the author is saying to them about the animals. And here I would like to take this text from the book of Judges, because again, people tell me there are no fables in the Bible and so on. Well, there are fables. Listen to that story and bear with me. I'm going to read it very quickly, but in detail so that you could see that the stand-ins for the human being in this fable are not even animals whether land animals or sea animals, but trees. And all the citizens of Shechem came together and all Beth Billo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, he said to the people, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint the king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my fatness by which gods and men are honored and go to sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, come you and reign over us. But the fig tree said, and the trees said to the vine and so on. Then all the trees said to the bramble, Come you and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, and that's the irony, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of it. Now, therefore, if you men acted in good faith and honor when you made Abimelech king, and if you men have dealt well with Jerubal and his house. If you then have acted in good faith and honor, then and so on and so forth. I'm going to give you that reference, Judges 9, 6 through 20. So let's forget about man-made theology that likes things the way the theologians like things. Scripture is scripture. I can already imagine my reader's retort, but here the author's intention is made clear in the text and right from the beginning. We do not see that in Genesis. My answer is precisely that such cannot be seen, but heard 
since scripture is literature and good literature more often than not engages its hearers so that they be attentive to the entire story and in so doing realize what the author is doing and saying. When all is said and done, an engaged hearer is prone to never forget the lesson. That scripture, which is a teaching, was poured into the mold of an engaging literature is sealed in the introduction to Psalm 78, whose content covers the entirety of the scriptural story. And I referred to this time and again and again and again. The Maskil, which is wise teaching of Asaph, give ear, O my people, to my teaching, which is Torah instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. Here you go, Mashal. But what I like is the stress of the following noun. I will utter the bland English dark sayings. They are not dark sayings. There are hidot. Hida is a teasing, engaging parable. Okay, it's a parable that forces you to get into the story to understand the message. Okay, very important to understand. Sometimes a better translation, although it does not reflect the English, a written, okay, you have to be engaged. But the message is clear. The riddle is not a total riddle, otherwise you won't be able to solve it. But you have indication in the story to engage you. And these are the true stories, and this is how the Bible teaches us. And again, when in doubt, refer to that example of the fable in the book of Judges. Notice how it is as parables, and another word which I like, enigmas, that the teaching addressed to the original recipients is communicated to the following generations yet unborn at the time of the issuance of that teaching. So, it is interesting, according to me, that the author is pushing the matter to have the human beings behave like their concerts, the animals that are part of the deal of God as covenant with his creation. And not only land animals, because this is to some extent acceptable, but he pushes the issue to show us the importance of the sea animals. So why would the sea animals be an example for humans to follow? The answer is that uh, God is proposing a way for the human beings to accept the lesson of Scripture. And one cannot enter into debating whether this happened or not, does not happen with the veracity of the story. You don't do that with the Iliad and the Odyssey. You hear the Iliad and the Odyssey, 
by hearing what is written as it is written. So the real question is, what is the scripture trying to tell us? And here, and I take a lengthy way in my book, the main point that I develop in the book is that there is a play in the text of the flood between the dry land as Harabah, which is translated as dry land by RSV, but it doesn't work that way. Harabah is from the same root as Horbah, which means a rubble, a mound of rubble. And in the original, the dry land became a Harabah through too much water, which is <laughs> a little bit tough to accept because Horbah and Harabah reflects a total dryness, rubble, and it's pushing further the Yabasha, if you recall, that is translated as dry land. Yabasha is the earth that is not covered by waters. And it is interesting, there is no good, bad, and positive, and negative in the Bible. It is according to the will of God that the same item and reality can be life-giving or disastrous. Water is a very interesting example, especially when you live in North America and the United States. You hear all the time about the hurricanes. You know, it's nice, the water, it washes you and cleanses you and you go to the beach and enjoy it and you drink it and so on and so forth. But too much of it can make the Yabasha, which is the dry land in the sense that this is where the human beings and the land animals feel safe. They cannot live in the water the way the sea animals live in the water. But this Yabasha at any point can be transformed into Harabah or Horbah, which is very important. And its function is that to the ear of the hearer of the original, it connects immediately with a previous instance of this root, which is Hered, which is the sword in 324. Here again. Ah, are you sure, Father Paul, this is a... Yes, I am sure. This is what you are supposed to hear, but the translations does not allow you to hear. That's why, and I say it for the second time, you may hear it a few more times, but by then my book will be out. You will see what I did with the translations. I completely anatomized them, massacred them. You should not use translations. As I say several times, you read in your church in a language that the people understand. But when you open your mouth to explain scripture, you don't refer to the translation. You refer to the original. 
And for those who have the heart to listen, I would like to remind them, those who are willing to listen, that Horeb is also the other name of Mount Sinai of the Torah. And this is unmissable in Hindu, especially when you get to the last chapters of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where you have the offer of two ways. Either you go this way, and I shall bless you, or you go that way, and I shall curse you. There is no curse be upon you. No, no. It is God who blesses and God who curses. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network. 